I want to start, just tell you a story or confession, I suppose. Raise your hand if you know Justin Garza. Something from him. See, and, and stealing's probably the wrong word. Let's see if we can learn something that he is doing well in his interactions with people and ask ourselves, is that a simple thing that I can incorporate into my life? Or maybe it's not so simple, but either way, as followers of Jesus, we want to be transformed by him. We want to act more like him, talk more like him, trust in God the Father more like him. So that's what this series in August is going to be about. Jesus and people, just kind of being a fly on the wall in encounters Jesus have, has with people, and then seeing what we can learn from it. So that's where we're going to be going. This morning, like I said, we're going to look at the encounter that Jesus has with a man by the name of Nicodemus. And we're just going to read sections of this story, and I'm going to make three simple observations that I noticed of what Jesus does, and maybe challenge ourselves to say, could we do that more? Could we do that better? And this is not to say these are the only three things you can get from this text. I, I think if I handed this text to all of you and said, what three things do you notice about Jesus? We would have a huge pile of, of things that we could draw from. But these three are just the ones that I happen to notice, and my hope is that in just throwing them out there and having us hear them together, God's Spirit will move and draw our attention to the right things that we need in our lives right now in order to be more faithful in following Jesus. So let's pray, and let's get into the text. Lord, I'm thankful for this morning. I'm thankful for this church. Thankful for worship. I stole something from Justin Garza. Justin Garza, if you don't know, was our former youth minister. He worked with our teens, uh, was a member of this church. He was on staff as our youth minister for five years, and then he and his family moved up to Olympia, Washington. Boo, don't move to Olympia. Um, but I stole something from Justin, and what I stole from him was the phrase, so what else is going on? In conversation, Justin, he's fantastic at listening and engaging people. Uh, he was way more comfortable in a diner over a cup of coffee, meeting with someone and just asking them about how God is working in their life. Then he was being on stage preaching. I was like, you need to preach. you got good things to say. And he's like, ah, I'm not comfortable. He's much more at home in a one-on-one -on -one situation. And I had many of those encounters with Justin. And I noticed when the conversation would kind of come to a lull or when I got done saying something or when he would get done with a story, he would often say, so what else is going on? And I was like, that is a great way to, one, invite me to say more and, and, and show that the conversation was important to him, show that he was engaged and he's kind of like saying, like, all right, well, you know, what else? It wasn't dismissive of what was said, but it was this open invitation. I stole that from Justin. I saw him do that, and I was like, wow, that's such an effective tool. It's a simple phrase to use in conversations. I'm way worse at conversations uh, than Justin is. So I took that. I'm like, I'm going to start doing that. And I, you may have been in a conversation with me where we're talking, and I go, so what else is going on? <laughs> it's an invitation for more. And I was reminded of that this morning because what we're going to be doing in the month of August is just looking at Jesus, looking in Scripture at encounters that Jesus had with people and seeing if we can steal for this time that has been set aside, that we can focus on you, that we can hear your word and be challenged by it. We are here uh, and our hearts are open. Our ears are open. We, we want to trust you enough to open our lives and say, Lord, change us in ways that will glorify you and your kingdom in this world 
Uh, we, we selfishly pray that that is a, a quick transformation process and relatively painless, but uh, we say your kingdom come and your will be done, uh, not ours. And so do what you need to do in our lives to make us more like Jesus. We pray this in his holy name. Amen. John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit, he tells him. The first thing I notice about this encounter is simply that Jesus makes time for Nicodemus. This encounter takes place at night. That's a curious detail. Like this conversation could have happened in the temple courts or on the road or any number of places where Jesus taught and uh, witnessed and evangelized and all the things that he did. But it, it, it's just kind of mentioned as a passing comment that Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. And if you ask me to get together because you want to discuss something important or you have questions about God or life or whatever, and you say, all right, meet me at one in the morning, that would be great. I would say, that would not be great. I am available <laughs> a lot of other times, but not in the middle of the night. So that stands out to me that Jesus says, okay. I mean, I don't know if this was evening night, if this was night night, wake Jesus up from sleep kind of night, but Jesus engages him at this time because for whatever reason, that's the time Nicodemus chose. Now, this could have been that they had started a conversation earlier in the day and it went on long into the night, like some of those important and valuable, meaningful conversations can do. It's also possible, though, that Nicodemus, as a Pharisee, was becoming interested in the things that Jesus was teaching. And he didn't want the other Pharisees to find out that he's starting to believe that maybe Jesus is who he says he is. So maybe he has to sneak around and do this under the cover of night. Either way, Jesus kind of meets him on those terms. And that's important for us to take away. As, I, as I'm challenged by this, I realize I, I don't often do that. I'm not as comfortable having theological conversations when I don't have a home court advantage. But maybe being more like Jesus means being willing to have some more of those conversations. Obviously, we talk about God a lot on Sundays in church. Or if you did want to get together with me, we might meet over in my office, or we might get together at Starbucks or a coffee shop over a, a nice cup of something. Those are kind of standard meeting places. But lately, I'm noticing more and more that there's opportunities for conversations outside of the normal place where you talk about God, where there's not necessarily crosses on the wall, where maybe you're drinking a glass of something and not a cup of something. God's Spirit is at work in these relationships. 
And simply making time for somebody is a really good first step. And if I'm honest, time is maybe the most precious and valuable commodity in my life. We all look at our schedules, and how many times have you said to yourself or others, I just don't have enough time. Like, I would, but I don't have enough time. I can't because there's just not enough time. It's this finite thing that we have, and how we manage it determines what we do and what we don't do. But here we see Jesus being willing to be flexible and make the time. And in this conversation, you also see that if you're Jesus, you may have right to be frustrated with this person and be like, oh, you're Israel's teacher. Shouldn't you know this stuff by now? And yet, he's willing to help him see new things that maybe he didn't see. Nicodemus makes time for Jesus. We can be challenged to make time as well. I heard this story about uh, a professor, a theologian by the name of Dallas Willard. He's, he's not alive anymore, but he's got this great reputation as an author, great thinker. But he also taught on a university campus. And he was challenged one time when he looked at the Gospels and saw that Jesus made time for people. He was willing to engage. He, he like set aside that time. If you were with Jesus, you were somebody that was important. He honored you with engaging in that. And, and Dallas Willard said, you know what? I need to do that more. I have a busy life. I've got this busy schedule. And people are always coming up to me on my college campus. Usually when I'm going from my office to the lecture hall, like across campus, somebody's like, oh, do you have a minute? And he'd he go, I really don't. I really don't. But he said, in order to be like Jesus, I want to say yes. Whatever you want to talk about, I'm here for you. And I want to help you because these spiritual things are important. So Dallas Willard rewound the tape and he said, I'm going to start leaving my office a half an hour early. He would leave his office 30 minutes earlier than he needed to be, just anticipating the possibility and usually the likelihood that somebody would flag him down and say, hey, do you have a minute? He would go, I absolutely do, because he made time. He got that from Jesus, and I don't know how that applies in your life, I think that's always a, a principle that we can take with us and be more like Jesus in doing this. Jesus makes time for people. Let's read on, see what else we see in this story. Okay, so it is, uh, you hear it sound, you cannot tell where it comes from, where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit, he tells Nicodemus. And Nicodemus goes, how can this be? And then this is where Jesus says, you are Israel's teacher, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you. We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. That's Jesus talking about himself. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Okay, you might get lost in this language. It's not 100% clear for us to understand what Jesus is saying here. But, watch this, Nicodemus would have gotten it. What we see in this section right here is the second thing I want to point out this morning, and that is that Jesus spoke people's language. He spoke the language of the people. He taught in words and illustrations that the person that he was speaking with would understand. If you go throughout the Gospels, you'll see he adapts the message. Not that the truth changes, but the way that he presents it will shift based on who he's with, where, and the time. And in this case, he is talking with Nicodemus, who was a Jewish teacher. He dedicated his whole life to studying Torah. He probably had 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy memorized. He was respected in teaching it. His whole life was living this out. So Jesus, you'll notice in this section, he goes to this example from the story of Exodus, the story uh, of Moses when the Israelites are, are in the camp and then the snakes are sent because of a, a punishment. It's kind of a long story, but <laughs> the headline is there's snakes and a bunch of people get bit. And God says, all right, here's a way for you people to be healed. Take, take a snake, nail it up on a post, and anybody who looks at it will be healed. It's a weird story, but it goes along with, with this Exodus story. Jesus, for some reason, while he's here with Nicodemus at night, says, ah, let me explain it to you. This is what's going to happen. It's going to be kind of like the thing with the snake. Just as people, if a snake was nailed to a post and anybody who looked on it was healed by the power of God, not just because it was a magic you know, golden snake, whatever, the same thing is going to happen to me. The Son of Man is going to be lifted up and nailed to a post. And anybody who looks on the, the crucified Jesus is going to be healed, by, again, by the power of God. So he's explaining things in his own language. That is really important because I grew up my whole life in church. I'm a preacher. I preach. I use a lot of jargon. And Sunday morning people usually <laughs> understand what I'm talking about or what I'm referencing, but that's not always the case. I don't always keep in mind that not everybody knows the story of the Exodus. Not everybody knows what a Pharisee is. And Jesus encountering a Pharisee, like, ooh, bring me up to speed on that. That's important. Kind of like how I try to bring everybody up to speed each week on where the kids go and how and why. I wasn't planning on making that connection, but hey, there it is. I remember one time when I was doing youth ministry that uh, a young man who's in high school saw another teenager get baptized. He saw that this person say, hey, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I believe he's the Son of God. Let's, let's make this my starting point for a life dedicated to following Jesus. And he was inspired, and he said, that's cool. I want to do that too. I want to follow Jesus. I think I want to get baptized. I said, cool. Well, you know, let's, let's talk about that. Usually if somebody says that, we have a conversation. We'll sit down uh, and just go over some of the basics of what that means and make sure that what you're asking is the same thing that you, what we understand it means to be baptized. And so I met him at Dickie's Barbecue. We got together one afternoon, and we ordered some fries, and we had some some sodas, and I was there, and I was ready, because, I mean, this is exciting, and I want to I geek out on this topic, so I was like, okay, we got to talk about sin, we got to talk about forgiveness, we got to talk about, okay, Jesus, and then the Holy Spirit, we got to go to Acts 2, Acts 2.37, Acts 2.38, those are like primary, oh, but, you know, sin starts in Genesis 3, so we're going to hop over there. This is kind of how this meeting went, you know, this student says, I want to follow Jesus, what do I do? And I go, whoa, okay, we're going to go jump over here, and then we're going to go to Romans 6, and then we're going to Corinthians 15, and here's what happened. We were having this conversation, and he started by listening, and uh, about five minutes, ten minutes into this encounter, this student was being very polite and being very patient with me, but I, I could tell. It was very clear that he went from this to this. He was looking out the window and going like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh, yeah. And I'm like, ah, and I'm, I'm teaching and I'm talking. I'm like, you got this, you get this, is this important? Uh, I was kind of talking to myself, talking for myself. I was like, ah, this is great, and I get this, and let's celebrate this, and aren't, are you on board? And he's like, it's too much. I brought out the fire hose when I needed to bring, you know, the living water. Just That's something for us to keep in mind as well. 
You see in the example, like I said, Jesus, he's adaptable. He talked fish with the fishermen. He talked farming with the farmers. He talked Torah when he was with the teachers. He debated with the debaters. And there's wisdom in that. Just learning, knowing what to say at the right time, how much to say, how much not to say, like we talked about last week, maybe listening more than talking. That's good advice for any preacher uh, or anybody who's got something to say, just knowing the right time, the right way. Learning the language is important. Last section. Everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. But just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man, whenever he says Son of Man, Jesus means me or I. So the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now the one you might have heard before. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, whoever, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Come out of the darkness and into the light. Kind of a curious thing to say to somebody in the middle of the night or in a meeting that is shrouded a little bit in darkness. But there's definitely something here. The third thing I want to notice about Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus is that he invites him into something new. When I was in middle school, I think it was summertime, I was probably like 13 years old. I, I grew up in the Seattle area, and this is in the 90s, so grunge and like the, the whole Seattle scene was something that was like just kind of exploding, and it was becoming very popular. And uh, one Friday night, I got a phone call from a family friend of ours. She was an older, older gal. She had her own car. She had this like cool Mercury Cougar, and she says, hey, Jake, you want to go into Seattle? I'm going to a concert you want to come with me? And I went, yes, I do. That sounds amazing. I'd heard about Seattle scene, but I hadn't experienced it. But she picked me up in her car. We drove down to the Seattle Center. There was this outdoor concert. It was the loudest thing I had ever seen in my life. Like, I'm there in front of this. They turn on the speakers, and I go, whoa, is that, is that necessary? Like, the, the, the bass is punching me in the stomach. I'm just like, what is this? Happened to be a band that had some songs on the radio, so I like I, I I recognized the songs and I was like, whoa! And there they are performing this music, and it was a crowd. And then as the they started playing, people started slamming into each other and like shoving each other. And I was like, is this the end of the world? Like, what is going on here? It was a mosh pit. Well, I've heard about these things. This is this is terrifying. Like I'm 13 year old Jacob going, I don't know. These people got piercings and tattoos and. Man, the Space Needle was there, and we're down here. I was just kind of like going, okay, so this is it. And it was, it was exciting. And it was, I mean, I, I was kind of hooked from there. Uh, that was, it was a pretty cool day. Maybe the coolest I've ever been uh, since. After the show, she took me to this authentic Seattle coffee shop. We're not talking about Starbucks here. You know, we're just talking about homegrown posters on the wall. We ordered onion rings and, and 
coffee and we're reading uh, these indie rock and roll magazines. And I just took this moment, looked around and went like, this is it. Like, I'm, he- I'm in the middle of it. This is the experience that I've I seen on TV, seen in the magazines. I've seen people in my middle school try to, you know, wear their flannels and emulate the Seattle scene. I'm like, no, this is it. This is it. And I think about that when I read this story because, you know, she could have told me about it. She was part of that scene. But it says she's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pick you up in my car and I'm going to take you there. And now you're a part of this as well. That's what Jesus does with Nicodemus. He tells him about it, but then he invites him into this new experience of God. Nicodemus, being a Pharisee, may have been under the impression that he had arrived that he had God all figured out. And like, now my job as a teacher of the law, as a keeper of the rules, one who gets it right in a world of people who don't, is to then dispense truths and teaching. Like, come to me and I'll straighten you out. But like, I'm, I'm good. I know what there is to know. We've got God figured out. We're kind of just waiting. Maybe that was his impression. But something about what Jesus was saying gave him this clue Maybe that's not the case, and Jesus confirms that in this meeting. Like, yeah, like, you, you know, you're a faithful dude, but you're missing a lot of it. Let me talk to you about the Spirit. He says, you have to be born again. And that, you can tell from Nicodemus' response, that statement didn't make any sense to him. What does that even mean? And then Jesus has to tell him about, well, flesh gives birth to flesh, Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You have to understand these things. Some translations of this part of John, instead of saying born again, says that you need to be born from above. But either way, this expression is pointing to this spirit-fueled understanding of how God can direct your life that Nicodemus was not familiar with. So he talks about uh, everyone who's of the kingdom of God needs to be born of water and the spirit. And again, he had earlier contrasted there's flesh gives birth to flesh, so there's this flesh component physical, touchy, able-to-touch component, and then a spiritual component. And then down here, when he says, you must be born of water and the spirit, the physical and the spiritual. You may already know that several, lots of church traditions have kind of like planted their flag on one side or the other, like water baptism. Yeah, it's water baptism or nothing. Other people are like, ah, it's spirit baptism. Spirit baptism or nothing. If you reread this, we are trying to see what Jesus thinks here. He's saying it's both. Born of water and the Spirit. That's the baptism that we're talking about. I've explained it to this, uh, you know, probably 15 minutes into my Dickies conversation with that poor high school student who had already at that point tuned me out. Probably at some point in that conversation, I might have explained it to him like this. A uh, water baptism is to a spirit baptism as... SAT stuff here. Water baptism is to spirit baptism as a wedding is to a marriage. Maybe that's helpful. Maybe that's not. Let me explain. Water baptism is to spirit baptism as a wedding is to a marriage. Think about a wedding and a marriage when people get married. Wedding, big deal. Very expensive often. Uh, but it's, it's one day usually. It's one moment. It's one like this is kind of an official starting point. Think of it as like a threshold into which the rest of the marriage will uh, live. Doorway, I think, is a helpful kind of thing. Water baptism, I believe, is a threshold and a doorway into a life of following Jesus and being led by God's Holy Spirit. There's a starting point, and there's a forward movement from there, but that's 
That's Jacob's interpretation. You can talk to me about uh, how helpful that is or not. But we see here that Jesus is saying it's, it's both of these ways. These are both important. But he does invite Nicodemus into this world, and it's curious in this story, kind of ends there. We don't really know what Nicodemus did with this information. My guess is he probably had to think about it, had to be challenged by it. I'm wondering if there was some time before he went and shared it with his Pharisee friends, because if you read the rest of the Gospels, Jesus was very unpopular with the Pharisees. And we can read these things and say, man, he was so wise, and what he was speaking was truth, but almost everything he said made them go, we have got to kill this person. That's how he ended up on the cross. He is a problem for us in our way of life. He is a heretic. He is a blasphemer. Let's crucify him. That's what happened. You see Nicodemus at the beginning of the Gospel of John, and you see him briefly at the end of the Gospel of John, at the tomb of Jesus. He's kind of there. So it makes you think he stuck with Jesus. I don't know if he became a full-blown follower of Jesus, or if he was more of just one of these, like I said, or like a fly on the wall, just kind of waiting to see what would happen and to see if it was more safe to get on board with the things of Jesus. But it's, the story ends with a kind of a cliffhanger. What, did, what became of Nicodemus? We don't exactly know. And Maybe the way John is telling this story, that's intentional. Because we have to ask ourselves the same question. We, as followers of Jesus, have been invited into this spirit-fueled, kingdom-focused way of living, and we're challenged by some of the things that Jesus says. Just like Nicodemus, we may be required to change our way of thinking, our way of living, like Dallas Willard, our way of getting from our office to the lecture hall, our, our normal routines of life, and it just sort of puts it out there. Will we do that? It's, uh, the rest maybe is kind of up to us. I'm going to say one more thing, and then I'm going to invite you to pray with uh, one or two people around you. I wanted to give you a heads up that that's coming. We've done a lot of uh, turn to your neighbor today. Some people love that, and some people are like, ah, <laughs> make it more like a movie where I just, you know, do the thing, and I'll sit here and take it all in. So I'm sorry if it's been a little, little participation heavy this morning, but it's good for you, I believe. And I'm with you, too. When I... <laughs> okay, two stories. Real quick story. I was at a youth conference and uh, you guys, as a church, you paid me to, like, fly to a youth ministry conference when I was the youth minister. And I'm, like, listening to lectures. I'm like, yeah, these are great ideas. And I'm taking notes. And I'm getting curriculum. I'm probably going to do this back at Tri-Valley. It was good. It was really good. And this one session, the speaker spoke. And it was, like, real, you know, head scratcher. Oh, I'm going to have to think about that. And then the leader said, you know what I want you to do? Turn to the people at your table that you're sitting with and just share one thing that you got from that. One thing that really stood out to you. And I went, oh. I do that to teenagers all the time, but when someone does it to me, I hate it. <laughs> I hate it. I don't want to do that. I mean, but again, I know. It's good for me. It stretches me, but in that moment, I went, oh, this is what it feels like. All right, good to know. Here's the main thing I wanted to kind of wrap it up with. I've been noticing a lot lately, there's, there's an attitude that can kind of come and go, but I, you, you encounter it every once in a while among Jesus followers. And it's the attitude that's sort of like where Nicodemus probably was. Like, I have everything I need to have. And anytime I hear a scripture, anytime I come to church, it's just a reminder. Like, there's not, nothing really new is going to be presented to me. I kind of have it all figured out. And this attitude seems to be connected to this understanding of what being a Christian 
is. And this is, this is the thing that's kind of come up in a few different pockets uh, over the last couple of weeks. So I thought I'd mention it to see if there's any, you know, sometimes the Spirit draws your attention to something that is meaningful. I'll throw it out there. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. Um, but sometimes you'll ask somebody, like, you know, what is God doing in your life? How is God at work? Or um, how are you growing spiritually? For a lot of people, that question does not make any sense. Because if their understanding of what it means to be a Christian is you got to get in the boat, kind of like, you know, Noah in the flood, like everybody's dying, like get in the boat, that's what it means to be a Christian. Get in church, get in, baptized, get, become a follower of Jesus. You're in the boat. So the question of how is God working in your life or like what is God's spirit doing or trying to show you or, or making you grow is like asking someone in a boat, how can you get more in this boat? They're going to go, what do you mean? We're in the boat already. We got it. We've, we've got it. And maybe I can get stuck there too, thinking like this is, this is all it is. This is my faith. This is my prayer life. This is church. This is reading and studying scripture. Like wh whatever it is going to be, it's already here and we're just going to repeat it over and over again. And what I see with this encounter with Jesus and Nicodemus is he opens his, his eyes. You know, he, he makes time to have this conversation with him. He speaks his language so it's something he can get. Finds out it's a really challenging message. And then he invites him into it. He opens that doorway, that threshold into something that's been missing. And it's up to Nicodemus to go, maybe I will walk through the doorway, maybe I won't. But that's, that's the challenge that I find for myself is being honest and saying like, is there something more? Is there something missing? And I want to encourage you to ask that question for yourself as well. And in the same way that Jesus invited Nicodemus and so many others to be his disciples, to be my followers. Don't just go figure it out for yourself, but like come with me and watch. You know, be the fly on the wall. Like steal some ideas from me. That's the invitation that Jesus gives. Maybe that's the invitation that we should invite others into our life to experience or even inviting ourselves into someone else's life. I'm talking about the buddy system. Here. When you think about like having a gym or like a workout buddy, I don't work out, so I don't, I don't personally resonate with this illustration, <laughs> but I've heard it's better if someone's doing it with you, and you can understand why. There's accountability, like if you're, I'm too tired, I'm not going to do it. You motivate yourself as much as you are willing, but if someone else is like, I'm already waiting for you, you said you'd be here, come on, let's do this together. I think that applies in the spiritual life as well. If you tell somebody, you know what? I want to be challenged by this message about the Spirit or about what it means to follow Jesus or what, what, what baptism means for, for my whole life and not just a one moment in time. Anyway, I'm kind of rambling here and you can tell. So I'm just going to stop and uh, I'm going to turn it over to you guys. And we're going to close out with some prayers for one another. We, we sometimes will announce prayer requests that people write on cards or send in through the email uh, or, or, yeah, send it through the church email office. And the, some cards that we got today, we'll send those out, so you'll see that in your inbox tomorrow. And we invite you and encourage you, continue praying for people. That's an important ministry of our church. Sometimes we mention them and we pray for them by name on Sunday mornings, but about once a month, we've been kind of doing more of the, look at the people around you. These are people that you can pray with. And this is a, like a uh, pre-set time. We're making time to say, all right, Turn to somebody next to you and say, how can I pray for you? Or you might say, how can I pray with you? 
Uh, it's just sort of, you can say as much as you'd like or as little as you'd like about that, but we want to, you know, like Jacob at the conference, maybe I don't want to, but like it's a nudge to do something that's good for the body to do. Maybe something I've said in the last few minutes has given you a, a good answer to that question, or maybe it's something that you've been carrying on your shoulders for a while now, but we're just giving you all permission to ask each other the question and to feel free to respond. So right now, as we close out, I want to invite you to turn to one or two people around you. Just look around and, you know, whoever looks back at you, ask them the question, how can I pray with you? And then have them ask you that question and then pray together and then uh, go do the rest of your Sunday. That is all. Pray together.